even business owners, you know, their services change as they do. We all are growing and changing and it makes no sense to hold ourselves back to who we used to be. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to hear my episode today with a good friend of mine and repeat guest on the show, Ashley Stahl. Yes, that's right. She was literally one of the most popular episodes that we have ever had a couple of years ago, way back episode 162 when she was on and she talked about her incredible story going from counterterrorism professional to career coach to speaker to just multi-passionate entrepreneur who is crushing it in this world. So here we are inviting her back once again to talk about all of that, but more importantly, her brand new book, which was written for so many of you. It's called U-Turn. U-Turn, get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I mean, who doesn't need a little bit of help in this department? Because we are always changing as humans. And that's what we're going to talk about, how you can make sure that you are in your dream career, how to make sure that you are running your dream business. Because this book gives all the tools necessary to take readers on their career journey into you know where they need to be going using this 11-step formula to discover the best fit for you. Now, we don't just talk about the book. We talk a lot about money and about Ashley's own inner money blueprint, which she writes about in the book and how she's worked to change this inner money blueprint even since the last time she's been on the show. As a matter of fact, what's really cool is when she was on the show last time, she was working through paying off a half a million dollars worth of debt. And as of today on the show, she just got done sending off the last check and being totally debt-free. How cool is that? So we're going to talk a lot about how Ashley's changed her own inner money blueprint and how you can do it as well. Ashley also gives a really cool exercise that you can do, just grabbing a piece of paper, making some columns, but she shares the exercise on how you can use these columns to help narrow down what you should be doing in your career if you're feeling that itch for a change. And I think her advice might surprise you. A lot of people would think that she's going to point you in this direction towards massive change. But for some of you, you need to change the way you're doing things. For others of you, you need to change radically what you are doing. And we're going to help guide you through that. As a matter of fact, Ashley gives a lot of good tips and exercises, I guess tools, I should say, throughout this interview that are very actionable that you're going to be able to use. So this is, without a doubt, another absolute smash hit episode. So get ready, listen up, take some notes, because here we go. Ashley Stahl, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. You are always such an upper on my calendar and in my life. So I'm, I'm so excited to be here with you. Are you kidding me? This is actually my privilege. Um, number one, not a lot of people like come back on the show for a second time. I just, I've got this weird limiting belief that sometimes you have to keep bringing fresh stories and fresh stories and fresh stories. But when you said, Hey, my book is coming out, I would love to jam about this, it was such a no brainer because you had one of the most popular episodes ever, ever, ever. I don't know if you know this. No, I had oh no idea. Oh my God, your story of like losing it all. First of all, making a mil- making $5 million in like 10 seconds and then losing it all and going into debt and all that. That resonated with people so much, it was nuts. Wow, that's so great to hear. 
You, you know what's funny is um, as we record this, you and I were just kind of jamming offline a little bit, but look at how far you've come, how quickly. So we're somewhere around, I don't know, episode four, 400 and something by the time this comes out, early 400s, right? And when you and I recorded, that was episode 162. So wow. it's been you only a been couple of work. years, right? Maybe it, it hasn't even been two years. Maybe it's been a year and a half. Uh, but look how far you have come from when you were telling your story about losing it all and going into debt to when you and I were jamming offline, you said, I just paid off the last bit of my $500,000 debt and it feels so good to be at zero. That's insanely awesome. Thank you. You know, I feel like stuff like that just changes you. You can't come out of a half million dollars of debt the same person. And I knew so many people who told me claim bankruptcy, like you get you get a refresh. And I don't know what was inside of me that didn't want to do that. There were some moments throughout it where I was like, man, I wish I claimed bankruptcy and just had a fresh slate by now, thinking about all the money I'd made to pay off the debt, support my lifestyle. And I don't know. I think it's interesting. I write about in my book um, this moment with my grandma where I was trying out for the school play and I kept wanting to be the one that was the star of the play and driving back to the school and looking every single morning to see if the, the posting was there of who got selected for the play. And I remember she said something to me I never forgot. She said, stay in your time zone. She says, we live in Los Angeles. It's lunchtime right now. And if you're in New York, it's almost dinner time. And one day, like your time zone is going to change and eventually it's time for your dinner. But right now, it's just not. And remember your time zone. Remember where you are. Remember what process you're in. And it's really helped me because I think everybody's in a different journey. And when I look back on my life, there were moments where I was on the up and up financially. I was on the down financially. And it just has helped me really celebrate everybody for where they are. And just kind of keep that space for myself to be kind to myself because earning and your career and your business, your business owner, it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know. I have to tell you, that's the coolest analogy I've ever heard. By the way, uh, awesome advice. I've never heard the analogy of remember what time zone you're in. It might be lunch where you're at. Stop worrying about other people eating dinner. Like, yeah. what an awesome analogy for be where your feet are right now. Yeah, exactly. I know my grandma, like looking back, I mean, she passed away years ago, but I have little moments like that with her. She also talked to me a lot about the unknown and she called it the divine unknown. And um, she would always tell me, Your life is going to be better if you can make friends with the divine unknown. And as an adult now, it's like all I think about is, is the quality of your life is really tied to how connected and safe you make yourself feel when you're in the face of the unknown, because that's all it is. Everything's unknown. We've already learned that Ashley's grandma is a badass. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. So listen, number one, I just want to give you huge congratulations on your book. Um, you. U-turn, get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. We are going to talk all about that today. Uh, and if people want to hear your backstory again, we're not going to do that today. They can go back and listen <laughs> to episode 162 where you and I talked about your prior career as a counterterrorism professional and how badass that was and all the U-turns that you've had to, to take. But what I would like is this. Could you start by giving us a timeline of how your career has morphed over the years? Yeah, love that. So in 2008, I was living in France. And I think like a lot of people, I didn't really know what I wanted to major in in college. And I just kind of picked something I was interested in. And not because as much of being an overachiever as being unsure, I picked three majors in college and I was the only graduating triple major out of indecision. So I was government history in French. 
And I just was interested in culture. I grew up in a political household. You know, my parents were always fighting with my uncles. They were complete opposite sides of the political fence. Sounds like today. I yeah. Sounds like the whole world so, today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And that really makes me sad and also really grateful. I'm not in politics anymore. But um, in 2009, I started getting my graduate degree at the top school I could to work in counterterrorism and national security. I had studied uh, foreign languages. They always came really easily to me. That got me into counterterrorism in 2011. And what was so cool about that was before that, it was the recession and I couldn't get a job. And I was an admin assistant making minimum wage and really still wanted to use my degree. And I really made that happen, learned how to job hunt, fell on my face. So in 2011, I was at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. as a defense contractor. I opened up the U-turn book about that because it was that moment for me. My first day of work was that first moment. And I'm so grateful looking back because I kind of started where my dream was. I think a lot of people work towards their perceived dream and then they get there and that's the real hangover. And that's why, you know, like Britney Spears like shaved her head and Lindsay Lohan lost her mind. It's like, I think that these celebrities, like they work for these goals and then they get them. I'm grateful I got my big dream early. So in 2011, I came to the Pentagon for being an assistant, tripled my salary, was responsible helping for helping NATO withdraw from Afghanistan. But my job hunt into the Pentagon stuck with me. And I was helping so many people that I knew that were stuck in the recession, stuck in not getting job offers, started doing little coffee groups. That turned into my free career coaching business. Everybody said, you should be a career coach. I was like, that's terrifying. I remember looking up career coaches and seeing like purple websites and rainbows. And that was just <laughs> horrendous. Just garbage. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, I don't fit into this. And I'm 25 or 26 years old at the time. So ended up starting my business after helping lots of people get job offers. And that kind of uh, turned into me creating online courses, scaling a webinar, getting 10,000 students into my job hunting course. And you know, I've had some ups and downs since, lost a ton of money, made a ton of money. So grateful for it all. Obviously, it's not as fun when you are in the middle of the mm -hmm. loss. But... I feel like now, um, from a business standpoint, I know that I'm going to make more money from that from that wisdom that I got from that experience, from the lessons that I learned than I ever could have lost. And uh, now I have multiple things going on. I have Cake Publishing, which is my ghostwriting house. I write the only thing I do in that company is I write speeches for uh, high level, you know, like political officials, executives that have a TED Talk. That's the only thing I'm doing. Otherwise, we write blogs for. You know, contributors online that don't want to write their blog, stuff like that. And I'm a spokesperson for SoFi and, um, and I have my book coming out, which I'm so excited about. You have so much momentum right now. It's so awesome to see. As, as a friend, it makes me so proud of you and just so excited for you. But let's go all the way back to um, when you said you had trouble picking a career in the beginning. I think a lot of people have yeah. this problem in the beginning. And the crazy thing is, there's so much pressure like you're supposed to know. Like you're supposed to know 18 or like you're supposed to know at 22. What the hell you want to do the rest of your life, right? And so yeah, I, I think people think it's like marriage. Once you commit, yeah. you're supposed to like this thing, like this other person forever. And it's not. It's the opposite of marriage. It's probably meant to morph and career and change. And, and you're meant to do different careers over time. What do you think? I love this prompt because I read a blog post a while back about marriage and this guy was writing about his wife saying, I didn't just marry one person. I, I married 20 people in one. Mm -hmm. I married a 27-year-old. 
artist and a 33-year-old mother and a 40-year-old, you know, marathon athlete. Like there's so many versions of herself we become and so it is with our career and I love dating uh, any sort of dating metaphor with career because I think it's also true job hunting is such a dating experience. But I would say you know, the biggest mistake I think job seekers make in their career is not being experimental about it and holding the decisions they make about it too heavily. Mm-hmm. It's not to say to be reckless, but I do think the amount of time lost with um, overthinking what next move you should make uh, usually shows up in your bank account, your opportunities. Uh, I had a client a long time ago, he had a job offer in Berlin and he was living, I believe, in San Francisco. And he was in so much agony of, should I move? I'm going to get rid of my apartment and pack my bags. And I just ended up asking him, like, let's cut to the chase. How does your body feel when you think about this in New York? Well, it feels really excited. Like it's a new place and it's more money. And I like the idea of what I would be doing. I think it's a good fit for me. Okay, great. So what you're telling me is that you've got about two weeks of inconvenience, two weeks of like breaking your lease, getting movers, shipping your stuff. It sounds like a two-week inconvenience. Wow. And then you get to go. And if you don't like it, you've got another two-week inconvenience. You give two weeks notice, you have to break your lease there again, and you come back. So you tell me, is four weeks of inconvenience worth having an answer and possibly loving it? Wow. That makes it pretty... That makes it less daunting when you put it that way, by the way. Right. And I think the next thing that somebody might say is, oh, but what about my resume? Or if somebody's changing their business, well, what about my other business I'm giving up? It's like... You can stand on your success. You can carry the past of where you've been into the future of where you're going. It's all about how you communicate. And I think people are holding too much around their resume or their LinkedIn profile or their personal brand. It's like, you know, you can stand on your success and you can pivot on your success and you can pivot back on your success. It's not to say you need to be chaotic, but I do think people need to be a little more experimental in their career because. Can you imagine? Let's go back to dating. Mm-hmm. If I said your first shot needs to be the right one. Oh God, the pressure. Like, yeah, the pressure. And I would be with some really weird guy <laughs> from a garden, you know? <laughs> it's like, why are we putting that on our career? Why are we putting that on our job? Why are we putting that on our business? It's so important instead to say, this, this job, this career, this business is a process. It's iterative. You're calibrating with the universe. And until you can see your career that way, you're holding yourself hostage. And um, I think any sort of change you might want or disconnection you might feel is going to be a huge buzzkill because you're holding it so heavily uh, and you're not allowing yourself to be nimble and change with with yourself. I mean, even business owners, you know, their services change as they do. We all are, are growing and changing. And it makes no sense to hold ourselves back to who we used to be. Okay, so let's make people feel better. Let's normalize uh, yeah. this career of change interest that people have somewhere deep down. How many career changes or change of interests do you think is normal throughout a lifetime? I've read a lot of data that indicate around 13 to 15. Oh my God, that's a ton. Yeah, especially with the millennial generation, which by 2025 will really have made up the vast majority of the workforce. And, you know, I think it's a really good thing. I also think. Anybody who was in the recession, you kind of got a hall pass to change jobs. Any sort of historically chaotic time like the pandemic, you know, all of these times give you more permission to make changes because recruiters see your resume or they or clients will see your business changing and everybody knows that this is a socially acceptable time for instability and pivoting and it means nothing about you. So I absolutely love that this is a big permission slip right now. I would say damn near every entrepreneur that I work with, 
they have recently gone through a massive pivot or they are highly considering a massive pivot right now. And if I look at, I look back at my interest. So as we record, I'm 42 years old. Um, I started out, you know, getting booted out of college and I wanted to be in the car business because I liked cars. Like what a silly way to choose your original career, but I loved it. Then I wanted to get in the mortgage business only because all my friends were and they were making a ton of money. And Mm -hmm. then that led into a banking career that I thought was really fun for a while until it wasn't. And that's when the recession hit. Uh, So there's one of those like crisis or impact moments you're talking about. Then I did an abrupt change to wanting to um, just come home and support Lori and Lori building her personal, at that time, what was a fitness brand turned self-development brand turned. Now she's you know starting an alcohol company. Talk about pivots being okay. And yeah. uh, then we got into uh, network marketing. Then we got into... Um, I wanted to do my own personal brand. And that led to this podcast. And it led to... I wanted to start investing in startups. And, and now we've got you know six of those that we're invested in. And I think it's perfectly healthy to always be changing your interest in your career. Because if you're changing as a person, and I think if you're doing it right, you are changing and growing as a person. So if you're yeah. changing and growing as a person, your likes and interests for what you want to do, uh, how you want to serve the world, that's going to have to change along with it. Well, you're, you're really bringing up two things that I think are really powerful to take note of. Number one is your interests versus your skill set. I think that's a huge distinction for me as a career expert that I'm constantly looking at. Give me anyone who's not happy in their career or their business. And the first question in my mind is, what is their skill set? Because sometimes I think we get lost in our interests. So Lori is creating an alcohol brand. That, that is an interest. But the way she's spending her time in that is using a skill set. It's a branding. It's usually words, using her words. That I, I would say that Lori has a core skill set of words. You probably do as well. Um, even in the U-Turn book, that was one of the fundamental things I wrote about was the 10 core skill sets I think that exist in the workforce um, and, and what they really mean about your options. So I do think that sometimes we forget that you know the roots of who we are are really in our natural gifts. Rarely do those completely change throughout our lives. Like I, my first job was at a preschool and I worked in the kitchen at 16 during the summer, helping the chef serve all these little kids. And I remember seeing a typo in a flyer and then the front desk ended up turning me into their editor while I was working in the kitchen at 16 years old. So, you know, it's like my core skill set was words from, from day one. And I was always really natural at spelling. I did the spelling bee in school. Like I have carried that with me throughout any business. So if you look at all of the things you just described that you and Lori have done together or separately, they all ride on usually a certain skill set, if not two. But I do believe everybody has a primary one. So that's the first thing. The second thing that you were sharing was just about following what feels good. And this was a huge piece of my TED Talk that I gave was really advising people to get more connected to their intuition. Anybody who has ever said to me, I don't have clarity, I just kind of look at them and I think to myself, or are you just not connected to yourself? Because mm-hmm. clarity is quite easy when you're connected to yourself, when you're not in a bunch of noise. You, you know, We are living in a world right now where there's no white space on our calendar mm-hmm. and we're turning ourselves into robots. And when you're a robot, there is no space to hear what's a yes for you, to hear what's a no for you, to even tune into what feels good. We are in this like autopilot survival mode that isn't working. And that is what U-Turn is all about, is really coming home 
to yourself. That was the point of the book for me. Every single chapter, helping people with a different step to reconnect to who they truly are and cut out that noise. And so when I listen to your story, I just think I'm listening to somebody who hasn't been afraid to reconnect to their intuition and keep following that in conjunction with a skill set that they truly have. Ashley, it's so interesting that you talk about we don't give ourselves white space anymore, so we can't actually get in touch with what we should be or want to be doing. I created white space for us this year. Uh, we bought a motorhome and we decided, fuck it, we're just getting on the road. And we spent a couple different one to two month periods on the road so far. And it's going to be a new regular part of our life. And there's so much white space when you are just traveling around the country and setting up camp. Even just being driving something that big, you're, it's white space. You're just present to the moment. You're not on your phone or anything for eight hours a day. And it's given me a new interest in a new career path that I'm pursuing that in a couple of years, you know, everybody will, will know what it is and will, will, will know me for it. And it's going to be the most abrupt, out of left field, you know, has nothing to do with what I'm doing or known for right now whatsoever. And I can't freaking wait. And it all came from that white space. Yeah, that's the thing. I read a study uh, by Stanford and I've been Googling trying to find it ever since. And it said 84% of our best ideas don't come at work. And it makes so much sense to me. I mean, anybody listening right now has definitely thought of some of their best ideas that are probably in the shower or on a jog. And it's like, we undervalue that. We undervalue that space. And yet... I think some people say like, I'm, I'm busy. But I mean, how much are you actually just spinning your wheels and avoiding yourself? I think that's why some, the you know, depression, anxiety, and unfortunately, even the suicide rate, which breaks my heart during COVID has gone up. I think it's because we haven't really learned how to sit with ourselves. Because along with that white space and the creativity in that white space, in order to access that creativity, we've got to face so much shadow. We have to face so many different... Um, addictions, you know, like a lot of people kept themselves busy socially so that they didn't have to be with themselves, mm-hmm. being forced to be in your house and sit and feel. And, and, and if you don't like your job, you don't get to hide in your 5 p.m. happy hour anymore. Okay. Now you're 5 p.m., you're still at your house. Like, what a confronting year for so many people. And with that, I think first things first is if you have white space and you're not creative, ask yourself, what are, how are you blocking yourself or what has gone on in your life or what have you not faced? That is keeping you from yourself. And I think from there, we can connect to our intuition as well. Okay. You talked about 2020. You said this year has been you know, a hell of a wake-up call for many, yeah. many people. Uh, and I'm seeing many, many people pivoting their careers or changing businesses. Some out of necessity. Um, you know, they're, literally, their business was shut down or their job was, was canceled. Um, and some out of change of heart. A lot of people out of a change of heart. How can we determine what professional direction we should take next? How do we work through this? How should I pivot question? Yeah, I would say the first thing... um, I love recommending people draw some columns. So if they take a sheet of paper and they put four boxes in it, so they just do a big X through it. Um, I love the top you know, saying good at and not good at. And then the side saying like and don't like. So if you can look at what what you're good at and you're like, you can write everything down. What you're not good at, but you also like, that's kind of your zone of growth. Like, I'm not great at this, but I like it. Um, and I would say if you can put 10 to 20% of your time into that not good at, but like box for your own personal development, there's some inspiration to that. 
Um, and then of course, there's the not good at and don't like box. And that is the box I think to really take a look at. How much work are you doing that you're not good at and you don't like? Why haven't you delegated it out if you're an entrepreneur? If you're in the workforce, why aren't you changing jobs? You're clearly not honing in on a skill set that you really want to devote your career to if you're doing a ton of stuff that is calling forward a skill set that you're not good at and don't like. Uh, and, And that's depleting to go against the grain of who you are. So I would actually just recommend people put a pen to paper with the good at, not good at, and like, don't like, and just fill out all four of those boxes. And... I also learned recently the power of pros and cons in such a different way. So, um, for example, I mean, it could be, you know, something as silly as me trying to decide if I want to get my makeup done. I mean, this is like a horrible example, but still, I would put the pros and cons of do I want to get my makeup done for this event? And I could put my pros and cons. And then what people don't do when they do pros and cons is the opposite, not getting my makeup done, like me doing it myself. What are the pros and cons of that? And so I think sometimes when people are weighing the costs and uh, you know benefit analysis of a decision, they're just looking at the decision. They're not also taking a look at where they are and just keeping things as they are. Um, and I actually like to give my pros and cons a scoring system. So if you can look at it and say like, how many points is this worth? How many points does the con dock? Mm-hmm. And kind of taking a look from there. Um, it's, it's really interesting to quantify your decisions as well. Not to make it totally heady. I think your gut and your instincts and how you feel matters. Um, it also matters to look and ask yourself, are you an impulsive person? Some Everybody's a different type of decision maker. Um, so I would say this is really good for the impulsive person to really slow it down. Um, and then for the slow thinker, this is good for that person to kind of really assess and look at it. So then what's left is how you feel. What an awesome tool. Okay, everyone has to do that exercise. Now, we were just referencing the people you know, where 2020 has been a wake-up call. Either they're forced to pivot or they've had a change of heart. Let's take this a step further. Yeah. Talk to me about the people who are crushing it in their career, but no longer feel like doing what they do. But they have a, a guilt around changing something that is already so successful. So a guilt around, um, I should be grateful for this. Why do I feel like I don't want to do it anymore? Or I should be grateful for this. This is a career that other people wish they had. Or um, how dare I, I switch this abundance that I'm receiving right now because uh, you know it pays for my family and my safety and this and that. How dare I just start over? How irresponsible? Talk to me about the guilt around that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I just took a hike the other day with my dog and I saw a little pond and there was like tadpoles and like mosquitoes and like all these bugs just growing over this stagnant pond. And I just thought to myself, like, I hope I'm never this stagnant pond because like bad stuff grows on you and you just don't ever become who you want to be. So let's just normalize change and remind everybody you're allowed to change. You're supposed to change. But I think second to that is really important to realize that sometimes change doesn't have to be Drastic. I think um, it's interesting, uh, you know, having one just gone through therapy myself and had many coaches. One thing I've learned in psychology and even getting a master's in spiritual psychology is that there's a scale of um, of of how the entre- entrepreneurial mind works, mm-hmm. and it, it, we're a little bit crazy as entrepreneurs, right? So there's something a little bit crazy about us because we are going out on our own in a world that the majority doesn't. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to note that there's some like mental illnesses on the end of that scale that as entrepreneurs, we are almost there. Like for example, bipolar, like the amount of abrupt um, change that we can make in our life. Sometimes it's not totally mentally healthy. Yeah. So for me... My work has been 
how do we slow our already crazy mind down? We're brilliant. We're crazy. We're innovative. How do we slow it down? And one of the biggest things I have learned with entrepreneurs is that usually we're just a couple millimeters off. And I believe it was Tony Robbins or somebody who talked about it's like golfing. And if you shift your golf club, you're going to Hawaii versus China. I mean, it's like so important to ask yourself, am I really done with what I'm doing? Or is there just a different version of the same thing that I'm doing? Can I delegate out a lot of what I'm doing so that I can kind of grow in some other way? So I think really slowing it down and making sure that you really need a full-on pivot. And do you have to let go of what you've been doing? Or can you create a different iteration of what you've been doing and delegate it out? That is such a huge question for this people. This is awesome advice. Because most people are like, oh, follow your heart. Or, oh, you know, you're meant to change. You're saying, eh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe we make a smaller change first. Maybe we delegate what we don't like. Maybe basically you're saying analyze the hell out of what's making you feel like you want to do something different. And maybe you can just eliminate some of what you're doing right now and fall in love again with what you're already good at. Exactly. And I just think like that mental health scale of realizing that we're already a bit of rebels, all of us Mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs. And it's like, you know, that same crazy that got you to be free and liberated and creative. Um, you know, sometimes it creates reactive decision making, abruptness, and a lack of true thought. And it's just so important that we kind of slow our roll. And I had a mentor who always told me, if you want to speed up, slow down. And for the longest time, I remember being like, that makes no sense to me. (laughs) But I realized I spend a lot of, I used to spend a lot of time cleaning up decisions I made too quickly. And I used to think, oh, I'm so quick. I'm making these decisions. Things are moving. But I didn't calculate the amount of time spent fixing decisions that didn't work out. And if I just put a little extra thought into my changes and my... And it's not to say to marinate because some people listening right now do not need to put any more thought into their decision-making. Like They are already high thinkers. And, and you know perfectionism is such a mask we wear for fear of failure sometimes. So it's not to say to be a perfectionist and not make your decisions. But I would say slow down and really get curious. What is it about what you have right now that isn't working for you? Why are you depleted? Why are you not inspired? Can that change with a mild shift? And if not, can you delegate your workout? So definitely a couple of questions for them. Such good advice. Okay. I want to change directions a little bit. Uh, And I want to talk about money mindset. We talk about money quite a bit on the show. Uh, But I want to talk about it as it's related to choosing a new career. One of the sections in your book is about understanding your inner money blueprint. Yeah. Um, I think you say something like discover the root of your money mindset and how to break free of financial limitations. Yeah. Talk to us about this. What is our inner money blueprint and how does it affect our career choice? Yeah. So I think all of us kind of come into the world with like a, a certain you know thermostat that our parents set of what we believe, what we can have. And unless we take the time to take a look at what setting we're at on our thermostat and and ask the questions of do they... Does this setting work for me? Or why am I limited in this setting? Um, That's why when you look at the data, so many people kind of stay within the same income bracket as their parents because that's their thermostat. And so for me, I had a lot of money trauma growing up because my dad had a lot of money trauma and I took it on. And my dad was an incredible dad. But one of the most important things anybody can do listening right now is grab a piece of paper and just write down... Um, every single early memory you have as it relates to what you thought about money. And um, 
I've found that this is a living document for me. You know, I in my book, I write about my 10th birthday and how my dad got me luggage for my birthday. And most years before that, he'd got me very elaborate gifts. I got a carousel, like an actual, you know, from a carnival in my bedroom. We had a beautiful home. And when my dad lost it, and it was our first year in our new home that we had downsized, and he'd lost, you know, a 300 person company and he had to close the doors, you know, just due to things changing for him. I remember getting luggage and, and, and I was like befuddled as a 10 year old. And I didn't even know what money was because I guess it's easy not to even know what it is when you have so much of it. It's like water, you know? I, I remember David Foster Wallace gives a speech about goldfish that are in water and they're talking to each other and they say, What's water? Because yeah. they just, even know. And that's how it was for me as a kid. It was like, what's money? Because we just had so much. And when we lost all of it, and when I got luggage for my birthday, A, I was a bit of a spoiled kid, obviously, because I had a total tantrum. But that was my first time seeing my dad have pain around money. And I remember throwing a tantrum. Why do I, why did I get this gift? And in that memory, uh, my dad ended up having a panic attack. And I talk about this in my story because I, I think it was his first moment of me not being happy as his kid as it relates to something that is in the wheelhouse of money. And I, I, I threw the luggage across the room. Why did you give me this? 10 years old, I was expecting a, a dog or a carous. I don't know. You know, like he, he one year he gave me a train that went around the whole house. So in the backyard. So I just remember thinking to myself, you know, this is wrong. And I took it personally. And he ended up having a panic attack. And he said something to me I never forgot in that moment. Um, and my mom came over and said, You have to apologize to your dad. He said, This is going to kill me. Mm-hmm. And I remember he was saying it to himself. And I heard it. My nervous system heard it. My blueprint heard it. My thermostat heard it. And in that moment, I remember thinking to myself, like, money kills you. Like the pursuit of it kills you. The loss of it. Loss of it kills you. Everything about it is going to kill you. And that was such a weird duplicity that I lived with for a lot of my life because on one side, I wanted the money. I didn't want to struggle like what we had struggled through when my dad lost, you know, closed the doors on his company. And then on the other side, I didn't want it to kill me. I didn't want the pursuit of it to kill me, the loss of it to kill me. So I was in these competing intentions in my career. And it wasn't until I created a lot of money through my online course and lost it all that I realized, wow, my thermostat was set below the amount of money I was making and I couldn't keep it up. And so I think for anybody right now who wants to create more, it really starts with just taking a look at those memories and let it be a, let it be a living document for a few weeks and set the intention to meditate and think about, you know, what were those moments in my life and just take that time to go through your life. And once you take a look at those moments, ask yourself, what did I believe because of that moment? And, and, and what did it teach me? What did that moment teach me? Not just what did I believe? Because sometimes we put the onus on people as personal development professionals to know what they believed. And that can be hard. But I think the question of what did that teach you? What did you know? What did you think about that? Uh, helps people also evaluate their set point. And from there, uh, I've really worked to forgive myself. And I'm constantly rewiring my mind. And I think money mindset work is about shifting every day. It's not just like, I'm going to do this exercise and now I feel really high vibe today. It's like tomorrow when I'm at my desk and I feel something come up, it's forgiving myself for that belief too. It's it's revisiting every week. What did I believe about money this week that is holding me back? So it's something I actually journal on every single week. 
And it keeps me pretty sharp with money and the new mindset I'm even working on cultivating since I paid off all that financial loss. Being that you're so in touch with it, how has your inner money blueprint changed from when you and I talked on the show a couple of years ago to today when you're sitting here, paid off 500 grand worth of debt and you're on the up and up? Yeah, I would say the biggest story that I had when I was paying off the debt was like, it was like money, you know, I was in this kind of victimized story of like, friendship is relationships are everything and money is so irrelevant anyway. It was like a way I would comfort myself because I love my relationships and they mattered so much to me. And they showed up for me when I was in so much loss. People who gave me love, you and Lori, I mean, just good people in my life. And so I think one way I kind of comforted myself when I deep down felt really vulnerable showing up in old circles where I couldn't afford the lifestyle that I used to have um, the way I would comfort myself is be like, you know, friendship is everything and this money is irrelevant. But I eventually, as I started paying off my debt, realized like people who make a lot of money can afford to give themselves experiences that are really profound. And unfortunately, for people who are not earning, they cannot participate in those experiences if they have price tag. And so while money doesn't buy happiness, it does buy you experiences or healthcare. And I started to realize I love my relationships and I also love making money. I think one thing also, I think in personal development, there has, you know, anybody who's listening who's like a coach or a healer, um, I think there's a weird pressure to love what you do all of the time. And you have to love your clients and be this. And, and there seems to, to me, be a shame socially towards people who just want to make a lot of money. And they just want to earn a lot and have a good time with money. And maybe they want a lot of leverage. They don't want to work a lot. And you know, somebody who wants a lot of money and doesn't want to work and doesn't want to do the work to get there, that's just entitlement. But somebody who's smart and wants to find a way to earn so that they're not hustling so hard all the time, that's, that's just somebody who wants what they want and they value that freedom. And when we talk about life purpose, sometimes people say, oh, what I need to do makes needs to make an impact. And that's, there's a story that we're collectively telling ourselves to feel better about wanting to have money. And one thing that's really set me free is realizing I love my freedom. I love that I have courses selling every day and I get to go on vacation for that extra week with my friends. And instead of me having to have a story of, you know, it's making such an impact and it's making the world better. It, it is. The stuff I put out there does. I've got integrity. But the real story is like, damn, I love this freedom and that's enough. And there's some purpose in that for me. And so I've also shifted my mindset and giving myself permission to simply enjoy earning a shitload of money whenever in my life and, and wanting to cheer on anyone who wants that too. And it kind of, I kind of think about it like going to the doctor. Like if you went to a doctor for a surgery procedure and you didn't, and you found out the doctor didn't love being a doctor, but he was the best at what he did. Would you care that he doesn't love being a doctor? No. Like, I don't care if he doesn't like being a doctor as long as he doesn't like cut my arm off in the middle of the surgery and does a great job. And I think that's the same for a lot of service-based professionals. Um, you, I, I want somebody to like what they do as a career expert because I want people to be happy and fulfilled. And life is a lot better when you like what you're up to. But for the people out there who feel lukewarm about what they're doing, the question I would ask is, is it paying you in a way 
and giving you freedom in a way where you feel like there's a lot of purpose in that for you. And if that's the case, do you need to be pushing yourself for so much change and pivoting in your life? Or is where you are actually enough? That's my question. Wow. Freaking awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing all that about your uh, inner money blueprint and, and how all of us kind of view money and, and you know some of the stigmas about it. I think you freed a lot of people up right there. What I is so. the most important lesson in your new book, U-Turn? I would say if I had one message from that book, and nobody's ever asked me this, which is so funny because I've been mm-hmm. like podcasting it up and thinking about the book so much and you know, I've always identified as a writer and you know our business and friend circle so well. I know we have some separate circles, but we overlap in so many ways. And there's so many people writing books to further their business and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a writer that wanted to be a writer since I was five. And so the biggest message I got as I was writing the book is who you are always wins. Here's the thing. Who you are always freaking wins. I think about when I was a little kid, I never liked having sleepover parties. And I remember because I always wanted to be in my own bed. And I remember my mom being like, are you sure you want to do a sleepover party? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do it. But then every time without fail three in the morning, I'm calling my mom at the slumber party. Take me home, pick me up because who I am always wins. I'm always the person who wants to sleep in my own bed. And so it is with your career. If something's not working for you, if you see a red flag in your, even with your relationships and dating, you know, it's like who you are is always going to shine through. So the question I really ask in the book is do you want to rip the band aid this week and cry? Or do you want to rip the band aid next year and cry then? Because the tears are indefinite and they're going to come, they're imminent. You, you can't um, dodge them. And so, when I give the 11 step roadmap to making a U turn in my book, it's really on the basis of let me take you home to who you've always been in the first place and give the person the awareness and the tools to get out of all of the limited mindsets that they've been having. And it's not just a mindset book, it's very much, you know, evaluating the 10 core skill sets in the workforce, taking a look at the 10 top motivators and the, all of these different pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but who you are always wins. And it's really funny because chapter, uh, the final chapter, chapter 12, it's in a, the book is broken into four parts. And the first part is the U-turn. And the last part is called Highway to Happiness. And I talk about in that final chapter, how I had a breathwork ceremony. And I'm not really big on breathwork, even though I know it's really powerful. And I was with friends and we had just been talking about our visions and what we want to create in our lives before the breathwork ceremony. And all of them had these big visions about their personal brand and who they wanted to become with it. And as I went into the breathwork, I was in tears. And and when I came out of my tears, all of the women there were there to support me. And I remember the, the sadness that I was processing was that I have a business and assets that they all have. We have very similar businesses and assets. And I don't want to create the things that they want to create. All of the business models and options, it, it felt like the wrong pair of jeans for me. Yeah. And it was so painful because I perceived what they were all doing with the same business model as me as the easy route. It's the easy route. They've got the assets. I worked to create my email list. I worked to create a book deal, all of these things. And the, the ultimate U-turn 
at the end of the book for me was realizing I'm still a writer. I'm still a poet at heart. And so my next step after launching this book and completing some outstanding projects I've been working on is writing my own poetry collection and having a coffee book um, of poetry. And it's like who I am always wins. And I think there's a lot of grief in accepting who you are. That's why people don't want to do it. You can't have change without loss. It just doesn't work that way. Any change comes with loss. And so for me, who I was always was going to win. The five-year-old that got up to the microphone at her preschool graduation and said, I want to be a writer when I grow up. Um, Now I'm 33 and I'm having to sit in a breathwork ceremony and cry because all of the other business models still aren't who I am. And I think with that permission comes a lot of freedom. And so I'm in a, a place of a lot of freedom. And that's what I want for anybody who reads. You know, who you are always wins is one of the most important lessons I've taken out of this podcast because it actually does make you take action now instead of later. Like you were saying, like, wait a minute, if I'm just kicking this can down the road because eventually who I am always wins and I'm yeah. going to have to make this change sooner or later, I might as well just make the change right now and yeah. be happier and be more in alignment. and and you know all the good things that come along with doing that sooner than later. Yeah, and I think on that note it's like we're we're all just it's almost like we all have a metaphorical boating slip. Mm-hmm. And when there's a boat in the slip, so this could be in love, it could be in your career. If you're dating somebody or in a marriage and it's not working for you, but they're like a boat in your boat slip. So mm-hmm. a bunch of boats are going to pass by, they don't have anywhere to dock. You know, and I think it's the same with your career. If you're busying yourself and not creating any of that white space and not giving yourself permission to rip the band-aid, breathe it, cry it, accept it, you just got this like busy little boat in your boating slip and opportunities can't come and dock on you. And so I think creating that free space, it's it's our own responsibility to ourselves. And um, and, and in my case, you know, honoring who I truly am. What a great analogy. Okay, two more questions for you. Yeah. First question. Who's this book for? I know it's for a lot of people, but if you had to speak to one person right now, pitch this book to them. I would say this book was written for anyone who feels like there's something missing in their career and they don't know what that is yet. Maybe they have some ideas, but they're feeling pretty stuck on making that next decision. They Maybe they're in perfection paralysis. They don't want to make the wrong choice of the next move. And they just need something a little more actionable and clear with advice and wisdom and tools to help them really take a look at who they are and what the best next move is for them and what their vision is as a whole. I love that. All right. And then the second question is this. The last one is this. I'm actually changing my last signature question just for you a little bit. So I normally ask, you know, give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success. In your case, I'm going to say, give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about pursuing the career of their dreams. Hmm. I kind of want to go back to who you are always wins. You're going to have to do it anyway. So do you want to just suffer a long time or do you want to give yourself permission now? Because the permission at a certain point, if you don't listen to life, life's going to make you listen to it and it's yep. going to hit you with a proverbial two by four. So listen today or listen next year, it's just going to hurt longer. So that's my advice. I is, love that. That's yeah. such good advice. I think that's my biggest takeaway from the podcast. And I had so many good takeaways, but who you are always wins, right? And when we can fall in alignment with that, everything's going to be that much better that much sooner. So let's stop kicking the can down the road. Let's just get into it. So Ashley, thank you so, so much. I want everybody to go and check out your book. It's it's coming out January 26, 2021. So it's coming out pretty soon here. Um, U-turn, get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. Where should they go buy it? 
So if you go to uturnbook.com and you upload your receipt from pre-ordering the book or ordering it within the launch week, we are giving away a crazy bundle. My team was just working on it. They're like, this bundle is crazy. (sighs) Of free courses that friends I have are charging for on the internet. Money mindset course. There's a life purpose course, a side hustle course. uh, And you get all of that for free when you just upload your receipt. So it's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N book.com. Oh my God. Any idea what the value of the courses is? I think it was around two thousand dollars worth of courses, and it's not like the marketing thing where I'm like, it's two thousand slash free. Yeah. It's actually courses you can go buy on the internet today. So I'm really excited about That's it. That's the best bundle I've ever heard of. It's not this yeah. BS two thousand dollars for you know four ninety nine. Now it's legit other people's courses that you've bundled together. You're saying. Yeah. People have been really stepping up for me and supporting the book. I think a lot of friends have seen what a writer I am inside and they're just excited to support me. And this bundle is such a reflection of that at uturnbook.com. Of course, they're they're showing up to support you because you've always supported other people. And that's a lesson in itself that we'll get into on, a, on another episode. So guys, go get Ashley's new book, U-Turn. Get Unstuck. Discover your direction. Design your dream career. Coming out January 26th. Go to uturnbook.com, right? Yes, thank you. Thanks for being on. Seriously, you've added like a new pep in my step. Um, I've taken a couple big things away from this episode, and I know everybody else has as well. So, just from the bottom of my heart, Ashley, thank you so much. I appreciate you and Lori, and just all you guys are creating so much. Thanks for having me again. Our privilege. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.